Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of His Word. We have had a pretty amazing day this Pentecost Sunday. It's been pretty amazing. If you didn't know it, you are in a Pentecostal church. Yeah, lock the doors. You're in a place where uh, we don't corner the market on Pentecost Sunday because Pentecost Sunday is a day for all of the church. You need to know that. About 2,000 years ago, we read in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. They're all gathered in one place, three amazing Jewish feasts, Passover, 50 days later, which is where we get the word Pentecost, Pentecostas, I believe the Greek word is. I can't see John there, but he'll tell me afterwards if I got that right. And then the last one is a Feast of Tabernacles. And on the day of Pentecost, the people of Israel would celebrate the first fruits, the first grain of their harvest, but they celebrated the giving of the law out of Exodus chapter 19 through to verse 33. On that day, they celebrated the giving of the law, but the day of Pentecost, the law was not given, the Spirit was given. When the law was given in Exodus chapter 33, sadly, 3,000 people died because they were being weird, worshipping that weird golden calf thing. 3,000 people died, but on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved and come fully alive. That is today, the birthday of the church. And it's always important we remember this. It's the birthday of every church. Because the church was going nowhere fast. They were merely doing some arbitrary administration, choosing new people, casting lots. They picked Matthias, never did a thing again. Just glad that it wasn't another Joseph because he was the other candidate. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. I was telling the church this morning, and if you're here, just humor me for three more minutes and we'll move on to some new stuff. I was telling the church this morning that essentially on that day, Everything shifted for the church. That was it. But if you also perform this thought experiment, if you only had the gospel accounts and you were given perhaps the entire New Testament, let's say, but you'd never been to church, you'd never met a Christian, I feel like you'd read the gospels, your heart would come fully alive knowing what Jesus has done for you. And you'd embrace that, you'd bring him into your heart, receive forgiveness of sins and you'd come alive. But I feel like at the very same time, if you kept on reading, you begin to read about the work of the Holy Spirit all throughout the New Testament. And imagine you've never been to church, you've never met a Christian, but you've only got these accounts, the Gospels and then the book of Acts and then the epistles and then you look at all of this. I would imagine that if you drove yourself to a local church, you would burst through the doors and you'd run to the front and you would say, where do you keep the Holy Spirit? Because I want Him. How do I get Him? Who's going to pray for me? Because all throughout the accounts of the New Testament, it wasn't a gathering of a neat little club that had nothing better to do. It was a gathering of the people of God empowered by the Holy Spirit that changed everything. And we are only here today because of Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit fell upon all flesh. All people received the work of the Holy Spirit. It was wind, but not wind. It was fire, but not fire. It was tongues, but not regular tongues. It was a move of God. And I want to say this, when you encounter the Holy Spirit, you can't really describe it. 
Now, I refer to the Holy Spirit as a the and an it. I know people say he's more personal than that. You should give him the name Holy Spirit. That's fine. You can do that. I just like to do what I like to do because I like to just be me. (laughs) Thank you. The fact of the matter is the Holy Spirit moved on that day in power and he's been doing it ever since. 3,000 people got added that day and every day since the church has grown particularly in the Pentecostal church when the work of the Spirit is embraced and endorsed. But you cannot describe the work of the Holy Spirit. Like a wind but not a wind, fire but not a fire, tongues but not tongues, you, you cannot describe it. I believe tonight when you encounter the Holy Spirit, at some point, I believe you won't be able to describe what that is like. And that would be completely accurate because nobody can. Think about Dr. Luke writing the book of Acts and he's trying to describe everything. It's like a wind, but it's not really a wind. Fire, but not a fire. It looks like tongue fire, like just eating spicy food. Yeah, tongue fire. We'll write that. Can't even barely describe what's taking place. What makes you think you can articulate what's going to happen in your heart? We never can. But tonight I want to move into new territory. And I don't want to preach long, but every time I say I don't preach long, I preach long. But I'm not going to preach long tonight. I had a conversation with the Holy Spirit about that, and it's going to be okay. <laughs> I want to preach short but I want you to respond tonight in your own way. Very quickly, if I may, I want to recognize a special person in this place. It's my dad's birthday today. (laughs) I want to say happy birthday to dad, and I love you very much. Let me say this. Uh Uh-oh. Let me say this. I'm not... Just hang with me for a minute. Um, I was preparing on Thursday, preparing some of the words for the weekend, and beneath me is Nexus Care, and Dad's been working with a lot of the internationals, which I've got to tell you, I want to shout out our Nexus Care team, and Dave Malins, who's a genius down the front here. Do you realize that on every Thursday, we have 12 to 15 people doing Alpha in eight different languages at the very same time. All different languages, they press play somehow. David can explain it to you, I can't. Something about the internext. And at the very same time, in eight languages, they are hearing the gospel preached. That's the day of Pentecost right there, man. It's pretty awesome. But anyway, my dad has the privilege of working with a lot of these people and uh, and working down in Nexus Care, and it was a pretty cool moment for me on Thursday because I was up there preparing a message, and I heard my dad downstairs praying out loud for a family, just laying hands on them, believing for breakthrough, and I thought, I thought, I'm so glad that I'm sitting above him right now. <laughs> I'm just so proud of who you are, Dad, and the man of prayer that he is. <laughs> Tonight, I... I want to talk about something to do with your prayer life that I learned in recent time that completely revolutionized, oh, I've spoken so much today, sorry, that completely revolutionized how I pray. And I'm going to tell it to you. And I hope that when I say this next line, that it completely changes everything for you about how you pray. And here is the the one line, prayer does stuff. 
I know. We can end right there. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, like, are you paid to study the Word? (laughs) Have you been spending all week long and that's all you've come up with? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Here's what we don't realise, is prayer changes things. It's like, we know it, but we just don't really know it. And normally at this point you start to go, well, I need to pray more, I know that, and Oh, Nathan's going to talk to me about not praying enough and I'm with you, I don't pray enough, no one prays enough. We've got lives, we do things. But I want to share with you tonight just a simple revelation I've had that has shifted the way that I pray because I realise that when we pray, things actually happen. I realise at the very same time when I pray, I don't always get the outcomes that I want. But that doesn't mean that my prayers have not been effective. It just means that my prayers didn't get answered the way I wanted them to be answered, but my prayers were still being effective. So if you've got a Bible tonight, open it with me to Mark chapter 9. I want to read this account that will really somewhat not encourage you. The Mount Transfiguration has just happened and the disciples have come down with Jesus. When they came to the other disciples... They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth or ganashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Do you notice that he first said, I brought you my son, but he didn't bring his son to Jesus. He brought his son to the disciples, which tells you about how we are his representatives to all people. Interesting. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I mean, you can't look at that and you go, oh, come on, mate. You can't have it both ways. You're saying you believe, but you don't believe, yet that's not allowed. I mean, think about it. I mean, you would have thought he would have been rejected by Jesus, but he wasn't. And I need to tell you tonight, it's not about you having a perfect faith. You don't have to have this kind of conjured up feeling to get the outcome that you want. I also want to say that you might not feel like relationally with God that you're in the best place. That doesn't mean you should stop asking. It means you probably should a little bit more. I don't know if you had this, but I was laughing about this with some people today. You ever, you ever want something from someone, but you really haven't done that nice relational piece with them? but you need the thing they've got and, and someone's done it to you and they call you and, or, or, you know, they've got something you want, you know, some nice 
mangoes or pies or pieces of fruit or coffee beans. And you know you want it, but you can't just come straight and ask for it. So you've got to like do this whole dance with them. You know, oh, g'day. How's your family? Are they going well? That's good. How's work? That's yeah, that, I'm glad. That's really good. Can I have that fruit? <laughs> yeah, but I had someone do this to me this week. Yeah, someone I hadn't spoken to for a year. And they called me. They're like, how, how are you going? Good. How's your family going well? How's church strong? I'll, what do you want? You know, just gives us like, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Can we just relax in life? It's all right. If someone wants something from you, just tell them you not want something from them. I want that dried fruit pie, coffee bean, whatever it is you want, cash. Just say it. Come out and say it. Do you know that with your relationship with God, you don't have to butter Him up. You, you might not have been nailing it lately. I get it. No one really has. You know, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh, not the elites. It wasn't the apostles who got it only. Imagine if only the apostles got it. Oh, we have the Holy Spirit. Maybe you one day will also... Everybody was there. Everybody's on a journey. Some of them want to walk through walls. Some of them are scared. Some of them are unbelief. Some of them are compromised. Some of them are thinking, what's happened to Judas? It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. Responds to your desire. You come to Him, you don't, you don't have to butter Him up. Tonight, when you ask for more, when you ask for healing, for breakthrough, for change, don't, don't try and do the relational bit. Don't ask Him how He's going. He's fine. <laughs> he's God. He told me he's doing well. <laughs> Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Talk about authority. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. This is the best bit, right? After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And this is the greatest answer of all time. He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. I mean, seriously. I mean, you're a disciple there. And Jesus says this kind can only come out by prayer. How unhelpful is that one? I mean, if this is your morning devotion, that's tough work. Oh, I've been longing for breakthrough. Ah, forgot about praying. That's what I'm doing wrong. In fact, some translations would actually say, no, this comes out only by prayer and fasting. What could Jesus mean by this? What could he mean by actually saying this comes out only by prayer? You see, often when we read this, we then divulge into some kind of a technique, right? There's a technique problem here. When they were praying, they weren't doing it quite right. Uh, they weren't naming the demon, they weren't you know, consecrating themselves, they weren't fasting beforehand, and we kind of slip straight into technique. I don't believe that's what's happening here. 
Or, or maybe we go to the other side and we think, well, the outcome is always predetermined by God anyway, so it doesn't really matter what I do. So it's kind of like, it's just only the thing that God does. But maybe there's a space in between. I would like to suggest to you that Jesus was adding a lot more into that text than perhaps what meets the eye. I wonder if Jesus was alluding to something far deeper than technique, far deeper than predetermined outcomes. I wonder if perhaps he's saying, these ones come out by getting in the fight. These ones come out by getting into battle. These ones come out by keep on, keep on showing up, asking and keep asking, knocking and keep knocking. Here's where I want to go tonight, and I will not preach long, but here's where I want to go. The dominant worldview of the New Testament is, in fact, a spiritual warfare worldview. All throughout the Scriptures, Jesus' own mission was the very fact that He was engaging in spiritual warfare. His death and resurrection has dealt the final, well, the ultimate blow, but not yet the final blow to the forces of darkness. The entire New Testament is an unpacking of now that Jesus has risen in glory and death no longer has the final word and the prince of this world has been driven out, what will the people of God do? The dominant worldview of the New Testament is not a hyper-spirituality, but it is certainly more than what we give it credit for in the modern Western world. C.S. Lewis would say it better than I can. He says, the real problem is not over-spiritualizing. Our real problem is we under-spiritualize. The New Testament worldview is the very fact that you and I are engaged in constant spiritual warfare. In fact, if you understand this very basic teaching. And I want to encourage you, if you want to read some academic writing on this, there's a 1,200-word book on it that you would love by a guy called Greg Boyd, God at War. It's very academic, but someone here is going to enjoy it. You can't borrow mine. It was $60. My point is this, is that we operate in a world that is dominated by spiritual conflict. And the moment you turn your life over to Jesus, you begin to operate in that realm. And that means something hugely important. When we pray, we enter into the contest. When we pray, we begin to fight the way we were intended to fight. When we pray with the authority that we have been given in the name of Jesus, We have the authority to break the power of darkness off people's lives and sickness and bondage. In fact, Jesus himself would talk about his own ministry in this way. In fact, remember that encounter in Luke chapter 13 with a woman that had been bent over and crippled. He released her and he said that the devil, that Satan had been keeping her crippled for 18 long years. He ascribes all conflict, torment, pain with the work of the evil one. And now because he's victorious on the cross, he now empowers his believers with the very same power to drive out the works of the enemy. Here is our challenge. Is we prefer to just see things here and now and what we're confronted with. But I believe we engage in what I would call a contested space. 
And I guess this has been my revelation. When you realize that prayer engages you in a contested space, you realize that it is our job to keep on turning up until something happens. I don't know if you watch a lot of Aussie rules. I do not. I watch a lot of it when the Lions are in the finals. I'm a fair weather friend. I'm a Broncos man through and through, which by the way, you need to do yourself a favor and watch the last three seconds of the Celtics and Miami Heat game this afternoon. Some of the, one of the best sporting moments I've ever seen in my life. I'm not gonna talk about it because it might ruin it for someone, but wow. Oh, these guys are waiting. You guys are waiting to watch it? It wasn't that good. <laughs> and thinking about it now. Anyway, what was I talking about? Aussie rules. Here's the thing. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know this. You should ask Jonty, though. Jonty's playing it. Well done. Um, here's how you win games in Aussie rules. There's a stat that they keep on recording, and it's very simple. It's winning contested marks. You know how this works. You might not be familiar with the game of Aussie rules. Let me bring you up to speed. Firstly, they wear really little shorts. <laughs> First thing you need to know. Um, cut off things as well. Why? No one really knows, but I guess it increases the flexibility. But here's how you win a game of Aussie rules. The amount of contested marks that you take means that you and your opponent are going up at the same time. And if you win the contested mark, you win the ball. If you do that on and on again, pretty much you will win the game. When it comes to praying, when it comes to being engaged in spiritual warfare, you need to realize that you are operating in a contested space. And every single time you get up to go for it, when you're feeling full of faith or even when you're not, you are entering the contested space for breakthrough. And if you keep doing it long enough, you will win the game. You don't always win the game. You don't always get the outcome that you want, but you enter into the contested space. And often we have such a defeated mindset when it comes to prayer. So many of us think that all the outcomes are predetermined. That God's already ordered every little detail and I know what you're saying, it's true, but at the very same time, we have responsibility to get in that contested space to go for breakthrough, to keep on turning up. And when your mindset is leading you towards God's already decided, it doesn't really matter. Then you actually don't keep on turning up and contesting for it. But what if I told you that your prayers really matter in the spiritual realm? That you have power and authority by the Spirit of God to break things off people's lives. And if you keep doing it, outcomes shift and things change. So we have a predetermined mindset. Or, and I would say this is for most of us, we don't get the outcome we want. We get that settled disappointment in our hearts. It turns into despair because things didn't go the way that we wanted them to go. It's very easy for us to even laugh at the disciples, but they, they gave it a go. But maybe they didn't keep turning up for it. I don't know. But I can tell you, we don't always get the outcomes that we want, but that doesn't mean we stop turning up in a contested space. I was listening to an interview with the Seattle Seahawks head coach, Pete Carroll. And uh, the Seahawks were in the Super Bowl 2015. 
and the coach calls this play with 25 seconds to go. And statistically, this was the play to choose. Amazing. It's like this is the, it had a 2% chance of failure, according to the statisticians. And Pete Carroll calls this play, last throw for the Seahawks. And they throw it. And as the ball is sailing in the air, the other team jumps up, grabs the intercept, game over, they lose the Super Bowl. And Pete Carroll talks about that moment and the interviewer said, would you change anything about that decision you made? He said this, I made the right decision. I just didn't get the result that I wanted. But would I make that decision again? Absolutely. When it comes to prayer, we just have to decide to keep turning up, keep showing up, keep entering that contested space. Do we win every game? Do we get every outcome? No way we don't. I wish we did, but that is not a reason to stop showing up and to enter our contested space. Let me end with this. Maybe you've prayed for a little bit and you haven't got the outcome you wanted. Can I stir your heart this evening that in fact, every time you turn up, something shifts, even if you can't see it. One of the things I've started to do as I'm praying, as I'm engaging with this warfare worldview that is so dominant in the New Testament, I've decided that I need to pray with more authority. I've decided I've got to pray more consistently. But I'm also using my Christian imagination to see that I am pushing back the darkness every time I do it. You see, only the enemy takes your imagination and warps it. I mean, think about it, right? Right now, if I ask you what is the color of your bedspread, you know exactly what it is. Who's got some cute little Winnie the Pooh one here? I mean, right now, maybe if you live at home, maybe your mum still cleans your sheets and puts it on there, you don't notice it. Don't worry about that. But if I ask you what the color of your bedspread is right now, you, you know it. Why, why is that? Has it all of a sudden appeared here and now? No, it's appeared in your mind because your mind is God-given. Your mind is actually meant to be something that we worship God with. And when we engage our Christian imagination with prayer, we begin to realize that there is more than just what we see in here. And you might be in a moment where it's just you in a quiet time, in a quiet place, but can I tell you, when you engage your Christian imagination, we begin to realize that we are pushing back the darkness and death does not have the final word and He has given us authority to cast out demons, to break bondages off people's lives and see people healed and restored. We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.